0: Welcome, this is the Teaching Excellence podcast for all things FE, teaching, learning, assessment, quality and possibly a few other things along the way. Hosted by Steph Wilkinson and Jade Gibson, leaders in FE who want to support others and make a difference and hopefully spread a little happiness whilst we're at it. Hello i and welcome to the Teaching Excellence Podcast. Um, today, I am joined by Trista Holwick. Uh, welcome,
1: Trista. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Bit chilly, good. but good. <laughs> <laughs> good. Um,
0: great. I'm just really thrilled that you um, agreed to record a podcast with me, actually. Um, and I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. Is that because I have too many uh, jobs? (laughs) (laughs) There's lots of of things um, that you do that are super amazing and I do not want to get them wrong. (laughs)
1: Um, So thanks so much. Uh, Yes, so I'm Trista. I'm coming to you from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Uh, and I do wear a number of different hats. So I guess that's really um, uh, part of th- what I, I love is this learning in all different spaces. So one of the jobs that I have as a, as a part-time professor at the University of Ottawa, um, I work in the teacher ed department, but I also work in the graduate school and have most recently just finished my grad course on mentoring and coaching in professional context, which is always one of my favorite Um, courses to teach. Uh, I also am the director of the ARC Education Project, Um, so ARC-ARC, used to be called the Atlantic Rim Collaboratory, but uh, we've now shortened it to ARC since our systems are not only on the Atlantic Rim, we also have Uruguay and Saskatchewan which are not found near the Atlantic. So um, that's available for people to check out on the website if ever they're interested. Um, and then I also work um, as a project manager for the Leadership Committee for English Education in Quebec for the LCEEQ. And it's a new pilot project uh, that supports all English school boards across the province of Quebec. And we look at teacher mentorship and educational leadership. So that's that's me. Those are the things I'm trying to, I'm juggling and uh, mom of three kids. And I think that's probably an important part. You know, it informs yeah. a lot of what I do. My mm-hmm. bad. bet. Um- super amazing
0: stuff um, mm. and and we met we met um, through collective ed we did and um, we, we have had a few conversations just really um, about things that we're both interested in and um, I, I thought it was just really useful to talk about some of the research that you've done and the projects that you've led because over here in the UK the discussion, around coaching and mentoring cultures and what we do in education and I specialize in um, further education so um, post-16 generally Um, but ultimately coaching and mentoring and culture development you know goes across the whole of education across the whole of the world so um, we have a lot of things in common but yeah so Start wherever you like, um, but I'm really interested in some of the, the research that you've done over the last couple of years, especially around new teachers and um,
1: supporting new teachers. Sure, well, maybe I'll just start with my um, doctoral dissertation, yeah. which was uh, really... Uh, a qualitative case study of a teacher induction program. So just to go back a little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, full disclosure, the teacher induction program that I was looking at for my research project was also one that I helped develop, uh, design and coordinate. So, you know, really this idea of it's important to me to research um, projects that have a direct impact on the people That I work with and the students that I support. Uh, And so I really wanted the the research to give information to help improve the work that we were currently doing and to see, you know, how do we maybe look at things a bit differently and learn from other spaces around um, The world uh, who are doing things around teacher induction and um, early career work. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so the dissertation ended up being um, by article. Um, so there are some snapshots available of some of that, the ideas that came out, but uh, the project itself or the program started in 2008. So it has been in place for quite a while, which is nice. I mean, one of the other things I think you and I always figure out too, right, is initiatives come and go in education. Yeah. And it's really nice to see something that came in. Um, and there were growing pains, like huge growing pains and kind of being in the position of the developer and uh, coordinator. You know, I got to feel that very personally and also, you know, philosophically like, whoa, what, did we, what were we doing there? Why do we do that? And, and how to make those changes. And like the importance of of staying with something, using the most current um, research to help inform practice and move forward and grow. And so what it does now, it's a uh, program that is in place for every single teacher that comes to the Western Quebec School Board, so the WQSB. Um, Even if you have 20 years experience, you come to the Western Quebec School Board, you will be assigned a mentor coach, Mm -hmm. and that mentor coach will support you, throughout your year and that involves, you know, goal setting, classroom observations, reciprocal, so in both of each other's classrooms, um, feedback, uh, professional learning, et cetera. And then and a reflective record at the end to sort of chart where you are relative to your professional goals. Mm-hmm. And in your second year then you are moving into more professional learning on your own but there are some schools that have taken up a, a, a continued the coaching role so it's, it's sort of that idea of developing coaching and mentoring within a, someone's first year in the district and then how do we build that culture and in particular i was interested in the experienced teachers so the people that take on that mentor coach role like why well you have a full-time job <laughs> like why are you doing this on top of everything and what are you getting from this experience because we all can hear about the stories of teachers who come in and have great experiences because of their mentor or their coach but i want to know about the impact on like the mentor coaches professional learning uh their classroom practice and also their well-being that was interesting to me so that's that's my research in a nutshell and, and what i was looking at yeah really interesting actually because
0: um a couple of
1: things i've just
0: Um, sort of you know popped in my mind as you explaining that one is you know this this these growing pains of of and challenges and bumps in the road with initiatives we're we're very quick to say it's not working we're very quick to say well how do we measure the impact and actually when we're evaluating the impact it has to be especially from coaching, in my opinion, from coaching and mentoring structures or strategies. There's not too much data that you can, you know, hard data that you can get out of, out of measuring the impact. But you can definitely gather the impact by talking to people about how they felt, um, what's worked for them, what hasn't worked for them. And, yeah, you can make the links between their practice and their approach in the classroom. But we're very quick to look at something, decide it's not working, and maybe scrap it, especially if there's time and therefore money associated with something. And um, so it's really, you know, important that you – said that about there being lots of bumps in the road but actually you worked through some of those things to be able to have it in place for quite a long time to then be able to look back and think about the impact of that and also think about I really love that idea of thinking about the impact on the on the mentor coach Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: um depending where you are here there are times when you're told that you are the mentor or coach for a particular person, and they may not want to do that. And there are, you know, um, you know, we can find ourselves in places where the, if we're having to make decisions about money, something like coaching and mentoring, which takes quite a lot of time and investment, and it's not a quick fix of any sort sometimes people can steer away from those things and maybe be drawn to something that feels like might get them quicker impact. And so um, here, it, it, there's probably, I mean, there's probably some reading that I haven't done, but it's interesting to look at the impact on the mentor coach. And also mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about those people that either, that do opt in, and we do have that that um, in place, or we'll probably, probably the majority of situations where people are told that they're going to be a mentor coach. So I'm really interested in in,
1: in those things. Um, well, there's so much in there that that I, I was thinking about as you were talking. So one of the things that was really important is that although it is mandatory and, and I mean there's there's like lots of thoughts around that you know should uh someone be a mentee or a coachee in a mandatory capacity right so just going to put that out there that is a mandatory for every single person coming in um and that, and it's not just a light decision That this has been like a lot of discussions over yeah. like the decade and it, you know the research is mixed around whether that's a good idea or not Mm -hmm. Um, I guess it really depends on what what happens in that relationship if it's positive then I'm sure it's you know no one's complaining but if it's not good and it feels forced upon you that's not an ideal space for growth Mm -hmm. Um, but for the mentor coach it's really the way that it had been um, designed And, and before I even talk about this I just really want to reiterate the importance of contextual coaching. Like things have to be born from the context from which they're working in. So this is like a, a it was grown within um, the district and all the decisions and changes that have been made are based on the feedback from the people within it. So I, I definitely not saying try this here or do this, I, I'm hoping some things are useful. Elsewhere, but really, it has to—it has to matter to the people who are working within the context. So, um, for the mentor coaches, they are selected by the administrators. So they're principals so the principal knows who's coming in and will make selections and they have a choice to say yes or no but in my research you know people said it's like such an honor to be asked and you don't want to let your principal down either so there are that's not always like a a cut and dry kind of response like I could say no I'm really busy this year um, because they don't want that message getting to the principal or you know they're really busy and they feel obligated so there's some elements in that so it's not a a cut and dry uh, issue but So that there is that element of a little bit of choice, like if you have a good relationship, I'm sure with your administrator, then you could say no. So people want to do it. And interestingly, lots of people stay in the position of mentor coach over the years. And now what we're seeing is a lot of people who are in it when they started are now becoming mentor coaches. So There's something that's working there. And that's like a a thing that they want to do. They see the benefit. So it just popped into my mind as we were talking about um voluntary or mandatory and
0: who gets to do it yeah totally and we talked um i think probably the first time we we chatted actually we talked about contextualized coaching Mm. um because i think where you have a mandatory um sort of program um it has to be contextualized and it has to be about the person because if someone's coming in with lots of experience lots of teaching experience but they're moving into the district if that's the right I think that's the right terminology yeah, you're right. You're I'm, getting right. There, I'm getting there Um, if they move into the district then it has to be about what where they're at as a person and what are their strengths what's their current thinking about their practice or all of those things and um, I know just from um, one of the talks that have happened at a collective ed event that um, there was a a mature student there so someone who'd come into teaching um, who'd had you know 20 years in, in industry experience and she felt like that wasn't acknowledged at all, you know, about what she'd learned being in, I, I'm really vague about what she was involved in, but I think it, it might've been banking. And then she trained as a teacher and as part of the, pro, like the teacher training program, that all of that stuff wasn't really acknowledged. And you, you and I will both um, know that, no matter what you've done, you've always learned something. Um, So I thought that was really interesting when she talked about that. And so it's similar in a way of, um, you've got, when we said this before we started recording actually, didn't we? It's about meeting people where they are. Mm
1: -hmm. And that whole notion
0: of, of meeting people where they are is
1: really important. And I think the true belief in the human potential so meeting people where they are and believing that they can grow. Because if you think that they can't grow as a teacher, it's, it's pretty much your stunt in your relationship early on. Yeah. Right? I, but, and so, but having that true belief um, and uh, and that it's a reciprocal learning relationship too is really important. It's not just about giving, I'm going to give my expertise, but also I'm going to receive and it's going, we're going to grow together. I really like, uh, there's a French, term for it. So I work in Quebec. So um, the majority language there is it's French. So I've had some opportunity to do some training and with some of my French colleagues. And they use a term called accompaniment, accompagnement. And I actually really like this term because it's the idea and I don't think we have an English equivalent. I'm sure somebody will know it and send it my way. That'd be great. But it's the idea of accompanying someone on this experience. And you can that's where we see the mentoring and the coaching for us. Uh, we see them as distinct stances. So you can be a mentor or a coach and you can do both. Um, it's kind of just knowing the difference between the two that's really important, but you're accompanying someone um, along their first year in the district um, and you shift into those different stances where needed, depending on the context. Yeah. Uh, and so that's really key. But I think one of the fundamental pieces that came out of my research is how Critical it is to have um, effective mentor coaches. So, they are really ultimately the success of this program, rides on your ability to choose the right people and support them and offer them resources. And uh, one of the big findings um, that I found interesting was most of the mentor coaches in my study said it took them about three years to become competent, understanding the difference between mentoring and coaching, and also. Uh, how to how to use them. So I think mentoring comes really naturally to many teachers, Um, you know, giving of your experience and sharing ideas, giving advice, you know, supporting, cheerleading, all of that stuff. Um, But the coaching skills really is a much harder um, skill set to gain and uh, and that you actually need to be thinking about it and like have professional learning around that, consider your way of being, your skills, and like what approaches you're gonna use. And uh, in our context, we didn't commit to any particular approach. Mm -hmm. So some schools used, um, we're already doing work in instructional coaching. So that's kind of where they went with Jim Knight's work. Some people were using the GROW model um, and uh, from Whitmore and Olivi. Uh, And then, you know, others were, I was looking at GCI, some of the growth model uh, stuff and the Shannon Moran's work. Mm -hmm. evocative coaching and and Elena Aguilar so we've kind of borrowed from a lot of different places and we're less hung up on the approach you use it's just really knowing what you're trying to accomplish and using the right tools for that is but then that takes time and skills right and feedback and support yeah
0: Yeah. and (laughs) and what is what's really interesting is the the program of professional learning for people who are coaches or mentors is very variable So, and then we wonder why that hasn't maybe been as effective as we want it to be. So for me, there has to be, you know, real thought about how do we support the people who want to be coach mentors? Um, What does that professional learning look like? How are we really um, allowing that space to practice and Mm -hmm. then reflect on the practice as as a mentor coach? Um, because it does it takes time to learn those skills and as you said it's it's not always about one model working for everybody and I know when I got into coaching you know I sort of resonated with some things more than others and then I would do a mashup of, of, of different things and then it then when you try things with different people or you you know your approach maybe doesn't kind of maybe feel like it's a success at the time you can then alter it and you then have to adapt and and learn um, and I've been talking about that today actually I was running an online event and we talked about this we, we got to the point where we are talking about deliberate practice mm-hmm. we were talking about that from a teaching perspective like a teaching teams perspective where often we're just constantly asking teachers to improve you know let's do this better we need to improve this we need to do this um, differently and then we don't really give any focus on on or we don't make it very explicit ab- and about practice we yeah. kind of just keep saying go away and, and be better at this which we talked about that as approach anyway um but then you know we don't talk enough about deliberate practice and going away to try new things so Yeah, I think it's really important that we consider what the the quality for the quality of the training and professional learning for the mentor coaches is. But then on both sides of that um, relationship, you know, giving significant space and time and thought to what is the support, what is the practice?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and then
0: reflecting
1: on that. Yeah, and I think, so you're pulling in some ideas, some things that came out of my research as well. So just to give a little bit of a background, when we started, we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. There were no mentoring and coaching programs in the province at all. Okay. So we had two committees that were mixed teachers, administrators. We call those are principals and vice principals. Mm-hmm. So we call them administrators and um, and district level people. Mm-hmm. And we made these volunteer committees to kind of come up with a, a mentoring plan. And there was another committee that was doing um, professional learning for people new to the district. And those are two separate committees. And we're thinking like, wouldn't it make sense if we sort of linked those two things together? You could like mentor and, the, and it would all make sense and cohesive. I mean, some things that we struggle with education is making things cohesive right yeah <laughs> so that was that was like the first kind of area so we bought a kit from the U.S. Um, and it was like a full kit and we so we trained some volunteer mentors and when I talk about bumps in the road like we had people reflecting weekly on their coaching practice back to us can you imagine like I like thinking back I cringe like the added bureaucracy of, of this and then we had like the First year, uh, we call them teaching fellows. So people in the mentoring and coaching fellowship are fellows. So having them reflect weekly on their practice and like, oh my gosh, like no wonder the, the unions were like, what are you doing, uh, overburdening. Anyway, so let's just say we've moved on from that that place. Yeah. But we realized, you know, people left with like huge boxes of binders um, and resources, and they're like, to be honest, we never got back to it. So it has to be something that's meaningful and relevant to them. Mm -hmm. And so we shifted a lot to look at it, like what do we all know um, as a community? And there's so much expertise within a school and within a district. Mm -hmm. So how do you actually capitalize on the expertise that already exists and not always seeking externally um, Mm -hmm. for ideas and the professionalism of teachers, you know, really like they people have been doing a ton of work and research independently And let's find out what they know and what they've experienced and build it. And one of the the really interesting areas we got to is we would have um, regular mentor coach uh, community meetings. So like professional learning networks really is what we're calling them. And we had them design their own professional competencies. So they came up with what the competencies are for mentoring and coaching. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they gave the indicators So, it took some time and then when you do your self-evaluations you're marking against the competencies that you developed and where you setting your professional goals based on those competencies so it's all done within like in-house and uh, to support it it's very iterative so it changes as we learn more and uh, we make we make mistakes and we're like okay that's we hear you that's not good the over reflection you know but on the flip side when you don't have any kind of structure in place, and you're just assuming it's going well. And you mm-hmm. don't do check ins. Turns out some people weren't getting the mentoring and coached. Yeah. So we thought they were. So you also have to find a happy space in between. So there has to be some sort of check ins or reflections or. Uh, somebody responsible for it. So that really was where the teacher induction program, the TIP team, came in, and they would be responsible to support the mentor coaches, like a coach of coaches. Yeah. Um, these professional learning communities would bring people together, and as people had more expertise, had been doing it for five years, they were leading the the session. Right. So then, and then, how do you differentiate? Was the piece that came out of my research? They said, you know, we're at a place now where you know basic professional learning doesn't cut it anymore like we want the good stuff (laughs) so if it's not gonna be valuable to me and help me grow and I've been doing this for five years why am I here and so that was kind of a huge uh a piece that like we need to think differentiated so some for more masterful coaches some who are new coaches and some who are middle and then how do you learn from each other is key so that's kind of where we're at
0: Amazing. Currently. And that's reminding me of a couple of things that, again, that conversations have happened today in that we talked about teaching teams designing their professional learning. Mm. So, you know, a lot of the frustrations at times of teachers and teams is this sort of top down approach. And, yeah. You know, Everybody needs to do this training. Everybody needs to improve on this. And actually there's just no contextualization or personalization of, of that thing. Um, and again, like you've just said, you have them people of different, differing levels. Um, and actually people who could really share what they know and, and their expertise on something. And we've, we end up with this, um, we don't create the communities and the networks within, within teaching teams. And, and therefore, you know, where you have this um, sheep dip approach, you know, everybody in um, and do this training, it just, well, the research shows there's, there's, there's lots of reading out there that shows that the one size fits all professional learning does not work. So mm. I'm not, I'm really not sure why it keeps, it's still happening. Um, I, I think I've come to a, the reckoning that maybe it's just out of fear, you know, that when as a, as a whole college or a whole school, um, you know there's this thing that needs to be improved people are not quite sure what else to do other than right everybody's got to attend this training because they feel a bit safer that that's a directive what we're talking about from a coaching and mentoring point of view is 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 exploration of practice and that sort of sense of curiosity about practice and that's probably feels it's that whole thing of like it's probably a slower development than being able to say right everyone's attended that session and therefore must be better, you know. So it's really interesting. This you know how do we how do we help teams to think about our teachers to think about how they're going to develop how they're going to learn and, and and the context and their own selves within that process. Um, just really interesting it takes me um on to you mentioned Jim before mm-hmm. um, and Jim Knight. I. it was the first time that I saw him or um I saw him speak uh, on last Saturday at um the Collective Ed Better Conversations event and um, I knew of Jim and he um I, kn- I know that he's sort of leads with uh leads on instructional coaching and like you said he's got um he's written some books um but he just he spoke about several things and he talked about um just a way it, you mentioned it before this this way of being mm-hmm. and, and it's a, an approach but what he talked about was the conditions for dialogue which were humility so open to open to hearing from others and he talked about faith and and I think that's one of the things that we have in common is this real belief in human potential. Um, I hear when, you know, if you really listen to when people speak, they often put a glass ceiling on staff and sometimes on students. And and it, it makes me sad. Um, and I'm, I, when you were talking before about the belief in human potential, I was wondering where it changes because when you employ someone you believe that they're the best person for the job so at what point do people stop believing in in their team or their people and is it that there's no room for the such you know that we're not allowing room for error or bad days and then we're making too quick a judgment and then labeling someone as not motivated or not engaged in professional development and learning and just really interesting just things bounced around in my mind but you know the this um he talked about humility he talked about faith and this belief this real belief in another person and then he also talked about love and trust as conditions for dialogue and I thought that was just I was really moved actually because the, they're just not the things that
1: we talk about in education and um, aren't they the things we should be talking about in education totally. you know like I don't know it's it, this idea of judgment quick to judgment and I think one of the things that really has drawn me to coaching is uh, curi- the curiosity a shift from judgment into curiosity and really trying to center that and to also, you know, think about yourself, that clear self-awareness. Um, and I think the belief in others and also the belief in what can happen in our schools. I'm like, I'm a huge public school advocate. And so, you know, there, there's so much that, that we can do for the kids. And, and I think that's what Jim really shares It's always, you know, what can we do to make a difference every day for every kid, every student, every teacher in every school, and that, and that, and the idea of trust um, underlying it all, everything that you do when it around system change, if you don't have trust in all the different levers, then it's not going to move forward, and so you have to put in that, that time, and then a deep love, like a love for the profession, one another, Um, that's not to say it's not shaken at times for sure (laughs) but we have to like in the end you know that that's our that's the love and potential that's
0: key yeah and and as Jim was talking about all of that uh, those things and as you said he talks about you know making a difference to the lives of the students Mm -hmm. and just really really sort of moved me and I, I absolutely totally now um want to explore that a lot more and you're just super lucky because he came and joined you didn't he this week
1: he did he came to our grad course so we were using um better conversations as the anchor text for our book circles so I'm looking at how to always like build community in an asynchronous online course with graduate students because we talk about you know trust community belonging um, people can go through their entire masters and PhDs without really connecting. And so I'm thinking about how do you do that? And if I'm going to teach a mentoring and coaching course, how do I not have connection as part of and community as part of the base? And so these were smaller groups and they had the book circles, so uh, roles that rotate like lit circles, in, as English teachers would know. Um, and uh, we read better conversations, and they would have provocateurs who would bring in challenging pieces to the chapters, and they'd have discussion questions and feedback on how their group processing went, you know, in terms of collaborative professionalism, the solidarity, and the solidity of their discussions. And so then Jim came on Monday last week to speak to us for an hour and a half. And I think it was like a rock star had attended. You know, People were so excited because you've read the words. And in the end, um, we were just putting together a little thank you for him right now um, around the impact. And it was around his humility, uh, the stories he shares uh, that really help you, the accessibility of his texts, um, and, and how that can be imp, uh, applied right away. Mm. And I think that's, and that really that, that love and trust and, and, uh, power, humility is, is key faith. So I think he lives those values. I mean, I'm, I don't want this to be a love fest for him. <laughs> um, and there are a lot of people that are doing great work too, but you know, he just happened to come on Monday and I thought that was a very generous, uh, yeah.
0: um,
1: thing to do for, for grad students here in Ottawa.
0: Yeah, totally. And, and one of the other things I quite liked about what you said was a very simple impact cycle. Um, And again, it links to what I've done today with um, the online event that I was running, we talked about quality improvement cycles, impact cycles. And sometimes we talk um, heavily about quality assurance cycles, Mm -hmm. and we get lost in this measuring stuff. Um, and I'm always trying to pull people to the other side, um, which is about quality improvement and support and development. And um, I really liked his, it's just three bits, which is identify, learn and improve. And it just doesn't need to be much more complicated than that. Um, this, the, you know, the notion of identifying the, you know, there was more to that, but the identification of, of what needs, what needs to be developed or where we're going to go with our practice you know as a coach um you can help people to think and it's about them thinking through their own practice and as you said and and as Jim alludes to it's about what can we learn from others as we listen as we listen to someone thinking through their their thoughts
1: ultimately and but I mean that's the goal setting yeah. that's the goal setting piece right in the identify so where is the area of, of your practice that'll make a big difference yeah. if you can work on it and what's meaningful and like uh, he says like the peers goal right the emotionally compelling what is mean a goal that's actually meaningful for you not imposed by exterior
0: yeah and, and I you know, had he not that before. a lot so that peers is, is p S or PWR, which was powerful, easy, emotionally compelling and reachable. And he said, there has been some debate about, well, why would you set an easy target? But actually, if you think about the powerful and the emotionally compelling, and like you just said that, um, what's gonna make the biggest difference? And, And having the goal setting linked to the greater good and the bigger vision, it's just so much different from what do you need to do to tick this box to, because, you know, um, this, you know, a different, it's a different kettle fish altogether. Um, but yeah, I liked that. And that emotionally compelling element of it is it has to resonate with a person, has to be part of a bigger thing. Um,
1: yeah, not tick box thing, right? I'm not, here's my goal and I'll put it on the piece of paper and I'll give you the evidence you need. And do I, did I meet the goal at the end? Do I get the job? Yeah. You know, that's not really, why are we doing this? This is a lot of work, unless it's actually something that's gonna make a difference to you and your teaching practice and to your students.
0: Yeah, and I say, so, that,
1: I say that often is, if we're
0: gonna spend all this energy, because this is really hard in education, why not do the things that are going to have a real impact why not do them so they have the best impact that they can possibly have because then we've really spent our time and energy wisely yeah and it just takes shifting the lens doesn't
1: it it does Um, and it's just i think that's coaching isn't it that's the that's the thing about coaching asking the question to help shift or even put into your lens a a different way of of viewing Um, and, and looking at it through your values or your strengths. Uh, and then you think about some of the actions and the practices that you do and, and they shift. And, and going back to your idea of the easy goal, I, I like to think of it a lot like um, a solution focused. So it's not that it's easy necessarily, but maybe if you, you know, you're going from the one to 10 ranking and you're saying, you know, what does a 10 look like to you? Describe that practice. Where are you now? So, okay, you're a three, great, you're not a two, but let's only make it to four, <laughs> let's not make it to 10. So, so, to me, the easy is that part is like possible and, you know, and incrementally, and then you might revisit over and over again until you get closer to that 10 um, as you work through the cycle, right? So, then you learn um, and improve as well. Mm-hmm. So, it's it's really, you know, it's, um, it's a really simple uh, cycle that a lot of the teachers, use in um, our school district yeah. and have found it useful, um, again, but also lots of other ones uh, that it, it's really about what what works for you and what's going to help your practice because in the end that's the goal, right? So I don't really care what model you're using, <laughs> but like that you can have some, but you've got some plan though, yeah. a structure moving yeah. forward in a, in a process. Uh, and one of the things I've been um, helping
0: people to think about is how we establish growth centric cultures
1: mm. how we you
0: know growth at the center of what we're doing which includes these other things of humility and trust and faith and belief um and it's really it. you know i'm only at the beginning of some of those conversations with people but i really find them super interesting um
1: we could talk. Well, can on- I just
0: jump in there.
1: Yeah, can I just I do. before we leave. Yeah, <laughs> just the idea of growth. Uh, I think that goes back to the power of what I was looking for in my research is, you know, it's not just on the people that come into the district. If we're truly a growth culture, how are we helping people along the continuum mm-hmm. grow? And the leaders grow. So if this is a growth culture, then you need to have opportunities for growth and and a menu of choices, right? It doesn't only have to be coaching. It can, coaching can maybe one that works for some people, but not all. But how do you promote? And one of the things that I found the most interesting, I mean, it's common sense when you think about obviously, but when somebody comes into a district and their mentor coach is always talking about their own professional growth and what they're learning, what goals they're working on and how they're improving their practice, like, wow, what a, what a way you're setting up your whole system. Cause you come in you're like, whoa, these, they really are committed for life to think about coaching or until the end of my career. And I'm, it's all about growing. And so all of a sudden that's that idea of culture change and how you can actually shift it to, to push everyone a little bit further along and stay committed and stay uh, loving their career. And granted it's not all roses. There were some definitely challenging times that the mentor coaches talked about especially when the relationship like didn't work. Yeah. It was a strong those then it's like, you know, this is not working and this is not good for my well-being. But m- the majority of people talked about how it helped them really engage in the work. It helped them grow because they learned new skills. Um, outside of the teaching practice, it helped them do something for their their school and their community uh, service, right? So they knew all the kids in their school were going to be in good hands, not just their class, yeah. you know. And so that was really powerful for them. So growth for everybody, right? Everyone, yeah. And that, I and mean, also part of the discussion
0: today that I was having with the other group of people was, um, everybody modeling. Growth. So at all levels in, in every part of the organization. And then a, there has to be a little bit of work, I think, about, on normalizing that conversation, normalizing that we talk about growth, because I don't think that really happens often. Um, and people started to recognize that they do it really well with the students, talk about the students' growth, but not necessarily as staff. And, and so there's lots to do. But it's, there's lots to, there's so much positive happening at the minute, especially this reflection time um, that has kind of been forced upon us through the pandemic um, and just, and being able to think about what are the opportunities, what can we do differently? How can we have bigger impact? And there are lots of people in that conversation and, um, and I'm, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful for the future anyway.
1: I'm really hopeful too. And I think that's probably where I always land deeply hopeful. And I think like with the pandemic, I mean, I, I think about the district and I'd love to go back and find out from teachers, certainly not going to be asking them anything more right now. They just need to move forward. But how do you, how has it been to be paired and have that support system that's already in place during this time? Like if you were brand new to the district and all of a sudden the pandemic, And also for experienced teachers who maybe have an opportunity to learn from someone else who may be more skilled in virtual classes, you know. So I thank goodness that structure was in place to support, um, especially, and just build a sense of relationships and community is so important. It's been great chatting with you.
0: It's been so good. I'm so (laughs) So honoured. Um, thanks so much. Um, I'm sure we will um, continue at, at some other point and carry on talking and recording. Sure we will. So um, thank you so much Trista. I will catch you soon. You bet. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Teaching Excellence podcast. Leave us a voice message in Anchor tweet us and let us know what you think or what you want to hear on the show. Tune in next week for more. Have an amazing week and be
1: the best version of you.